as uh, Pastor Randy shared through 1 Corinthians 8, we looked at how there are times where we may be called to lay down our rights for the sake of another, right? We all as Christians have great liberty and freedom, don't we? Isn't it great? But there are times where we may be called to uh, lay down those rights. I personally really enjoy any chance I get, especially the summertime, hitting a McDonald's drive through for their dollar ice cream cone. And I have loaded up on, on several too many of those this summer. But inevitably, when I'm with my wife, I'll ask my wife, honey, do you want one? <laughs> Typically, her answer will be, no, no, I'm, I'm good, thanks. So I order my ice cream cone to inevitably have what you all know is coming. My wife looking at that going, yeah, oh, can I just have a little bit, you know, just a little bit of that, right? And I'm confronted with a dilemma right then and there. I asked you if you wanted one, you said no. Yep. And I feel I have the right to claim this as solely my own for me to enjoy every ounce of this ice cream cone all to myself. I feel I have the right to do that. But as my wife looks at me with those sad, you know, puppy eyes, I let the law of love win out, right? Give her some of the drippings at the end of the cone afterwards. But see, we all at times are confronted with that dilemma of, of laying down your rights for the, the blessing and betterment of others. Paul addressed that in chapter eight where he said, there are, are some people that uh, because of conscience sake, will really struggle over eating certain meats that perhaps were purchased at the marketplace, thinking that maybe that meat was at one time kind of offered to an idol. You know, it's got some kind of pagan link to it, and, and maybe I shouldn't eat that. Paul, on the other hand, is saying, my conscience is clear. You put down anything barbecued in front of me, I'm going to devour it, right? He's like, I'm all good. But he says, if there's somebody that might be stumbled by me eating meat, he says, I will never eat meat again. Paul's a guy that says, I know, you know, that there are times we're going to lay down our rights. Now, as we move into chapter 9, it can almost seem like he's changing gear, shifting focus a bit, like we're moving on to something else now. But chapter 9 is really well connected to chapter 8 because Paul continues now in chapter 9 to give an example of how he personally has had to lay down a specific right of his. And what right is that? It was the right of an apostle to be supported, compensated for the service he was giving and doing. Paul had a right to be receiving remuneration for the work he was doing, yet he chose to lay down that right. And he addresses that here in chapter 9. So it's flowing out of chapter 8 for Paul now to give this example from his own life. And so we're going to look at this here in our outline. Paul's defense of apostleship and Paul's rights of apostleship. And that's interesting because... As Paul comes onto the scene in Corinth and he says, listen, I'm not asking for money. I'm not looking to get anything from you. I'm here to share the gospel. Well, with that, there were people that began to say, I don't know if you're really a true apostle because an apostle has the inalienable right to say, I need to be paid for what I'm doing here. And, and anybody that had any kind of responsibility in the church would look at themselves as higher than everybody else. Everybody else would be treated as servants serving that person with responsibility or authority as an apostle might have. So people in the church began to say, Paul, I don't know if you're really a genuine apostle. 
Because if you were, you'd have no problem claiming your right to receive support. But Paul didn't do that. So he's having to essentially defend his apostleship to those who are questioning him and opposing him. So we'll see that in the first six verses. And then he'll talk about really specifically his rights that he does have as an apostle to be paid and yet was willing to lay it down. So let's look at this here in verse one. Paul says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? So again, the church in Corinth had no problem supporting various teachers. This was something that they were accustomed to. It wasn't foreign. It wasn't weird to them. They had no problem saying, oh yeah, we're going to support this person. They're serving the Lord. They're, they're ministering in the church. We'll, we'll pay this person. But with Paul, they go, mm, I don't know about you, Paul. I'm not sure if you're really a right, genuine apostle. We, we're not comfortable giving you anything. Not that Paul was asking for it. So Paul now is having to defend this apostleship. So he, in verse one alone, he poses four questions, four rhetorical questions that are written in a way in the Greek to kind of pose and assume a positive response. These weren't questions being asked of going, man, what's the right answer here? They were asked to say in a way to show that they all have a positive yes answer. So Paul's first question is this, am I not an apostle? Well, absolutely, Paul was an apostle. An apostle was simply one that was commissioned or, or called, it, it really meant sent out ones. Sent out with a mission. Paul was a person that was called by the Lord Jesus. He was sent out with a specific mission. Though he wasn't part of the original 12, there were many apostles, and Paul became one of them, called by Jesus for a specific purpose of proclaiming the gospel. And it says, am I not free? Well, you bet he was. Paul knew, I'm completely free in the Lord. Yet, Yet because Paul comes on the scene and he's, he's basically coming as a servant, laying down his rights and willing to, to you know, serve others, people looked at him and thought, wait a second, this doesn't seem to really add up. They, they looked down on him because of that. There were those in Corinth that believed, again, like I said, if you had any responsibility in the church, then you exercised that authority. You claim what's rightfully yours. But they saw Paul as a person that was you know, too soft, too weak, too willing to just, you know, deny himself his freedom in Christ for the sake of others. So they, they questioned Paul. And he adds his third question, have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Well, over and over again, we see throughout scriptures that one of the requirements of an apostle was that they were an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. Not only an eyewitness of Jesus, but an eyewitness of his resurrection, the resurrected Jesus, Right? We see that as they were selecting new apostles, replacing Judas, that some of it had been with them and had been with Jesus after his resurrection. So we go, well, Paul doesn't quite fit that bill because he wasn't even a believer until after Jesus rose again and ascended to heaven. How does Paul fit that criteria or requirement of apostleship? Well, the road to Damascus solves that problem for us, right? Because it's on the road to Damascus as Paul thought he was doing God a favor by persecuting the church, imprisoning Christians. He's going out to just make it difficult for the church. It's on the road to Damascus that the Lord comes and meets Paul, reveals himself to Paul, knocks Paul off of his high horse. He says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Paul 
recognized that this was Jesus Christ and that Paul had been fighting against the Lord Jesus all along. So Paul not only gets saved, but he becomes one of the greatest apostles of all. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrected form. And then lastly, this is kind of the clincher here too, says, are you not my work in the Lord? See, all that Paul had to do was say, hey guys, why don't you just look around and see what's happened here in Corinth. One of the most wicked, sinful, corrupt cities in that, in that world of time. Paul says, do you see what's happened here? A church has been planted. Lives have been saved. People have been so radically transformed, brought out of darkness into light, death into life. Do you see what's going on? That's happened because the Lord has called me here, commissioned me as an apostle to preach the gospel. And the proof of the pudding is right here in changed lives. Are you not my work in the Lord? Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 4, 15, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Paul says, oh, there might be many people that come along, but I have begotten you i'm as a father to you so paul goes on to say in verse two if i am not an apostle to others well yet doubtless i am to you for you are my seal or the seal of my apostleship in the lord paul is 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 stating here that there are others that might not see me as an apostle granted that's fine they got an axe to grind or something let let them have it. but there should be no doubt to you that i'm an apostle there's, there's no question here. Doubtless to you, I am because you are the seal in, in, or, or the certification, the ID in a sense for Paul's apostleship. It's stamped all upon them again through transformed lives by the, the fruit of the ministry that Paul has brought into Corinth. But now, none of these things really change the mind of his critics. And this isn't, again, so much a chapter on Paul having to defend his apostleship but rather this is about him giving an illustration of the rights that he could have claimed for himself, but willingly laid them down for the sake of others. So with that, he launches now into another series of questions meant to stir his readers to see what he was giving up. Again, these questions are asked with that assumed positive response. He says here in verse three, my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? You see, Paul had every right to receive financial remuneration from those that he was teaching and, and pastoring and, and instructing and shepherding. He had every right to receive support from them. When Jesus, in fact, sent out the 70 apostles, he, he very much told them that whatever set before them, enjoy it because you deserve it. He, he says in Luke 10, verse five to eight, but whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you and remain in the same house. Notice eating and drinking such things as they give for the labor is worthy of his wages. Don't go from house to house, whatever city under and they receive you. Eat such things as are set before you. Jesus himself said, listen, guys, when you go out and you're serving me, you're passing on the good news. 
Well, receive what they give you because the laborer is worthy of his wages. Paul will later say in verse 14 of, the, uh, of 1 Corinthians 9 that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So with Paul being a worker for the Lord and commissioned by the Lord as an apostle, he had every right to be compensated by financial provision and very practical provision, whether it was a dinner provided for him or through monetary gifts that came to him. He had every right to receive that for the way that he was serving the Lord and being a minister of the gospel. Now, he asks another question here. Verse five, do we have no right to take along a believing wife? See, provision was not only made for the apostle, but provision was also made for the spouse. There was spousal support uh, lumped into this where the apostle could take his wife with him if they were traveling from town to town. He could have his wife with him and his wife was to be supported as well. Now, that would be a great blessing to the apostle, but that wife would also be a great blessing to those that they ministered to along the way, having a team, a partnership there working together. So wives were able to be supported as well. Now, Paul had every right to take along a wife with him, but he didn't. Now, at this time, it, Paul didn't have a wife. He wasn't married. We know that from 1 Corinthians 7 as he taught a lot about, you know, singlehood. And Paul was single. It's very likely that he was married. We don't know that for sure, but most likely he was married. We don't know what happened to his wife, whether she passed away or whether when Paul got saved, she's like, oh man, you, you just got way too radical for me. This is not what I signed up for. I'm leaving and she's out. We don't know what happened, but he's single and he's saying, I, I don't need a wife. I'm not looking to take a wife with me. I'm quite content with a single life and have that singleness of mind to serve the Lord and to minister to those that God puts before me. Other apostles were married and wives were accompanying them on the ministry and they were provided for. He mentioned Cephas. That's Peter. Peter was a guy that had a wife. Mark 3 tells us that Jesus came to the home of Peter and prayed for his mother-in-law. So we know that Peter was married. Now, verse five poses a real problem to, you know, Catholic teaching the Catholic church, right? Those of you that grew up in that maybe know where I'm going with this. But see, the Catholic church believes that their priests, and especially the popes, are to remain unmarried, celibate, right? And, and, and they're, not, they're not to be engaged in these things. But they also teach that Peter was their first pope. So if Peter's the first pope, they've got a married pope. To which all the popes are going, how do we move away from that? Where do we go wrong, right? It, it kind of reminds me of this story I shared with you many times before, but a young monk that comes in a monastery and one of their jobs is to copy copies of scriptures. And this young monk realized that they're all kind of copying from copies. And he's thinking, well, what if we made a mistake in one of these copies? We're just gonna continue to pass on those mistakes. And he went to the abbot and said, Aren't, don't we have the original manuscript? How come we're not copying from the original so we don't make these mistakes potentially? And the abbot thought, man, that's a really good idea. The, the young monk said, where, where are the, these manuscripts? And the abbot said, well, we have those stored down in our cellar. You, you may go down there and check them out and, and make some copies of them. So the young monk went down and he found these, these original manuscripts and he's looking through them. And suddenly the abbot began to hear this loud banging. And he goes down in the cellar and he sees this young monk banging his head up against the wall saying, we missed the R, we missed the R. And the abbot says, what are you doing? And the young monk says, the word was celebrate. 
So, now, the Catholic Church also gets another thing wrong. Because they also teach in the perpetual virginity of Mary. But notice, look at verse 5 with me again. Look at what we read there. Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do also the other apostles? The brothers of the Lord and Cephas, the brothers of the Lord. See, I don't think he's using this term in a way of talking about spiritual family. He's referencing the brothers of Jesus. Yes, Jesus had half-brothers. Two of them are writers of the New Testament, James and Jude, or also called Judas in other places in Scripture. These are only two of his brothers. He had more, but what we understand is that Mary had other kids after Jesus. Yes, Jesus was born of a virgin, but after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph continued to have kids who didn't believe Jesus as they were growing up and Jesus performing ministry while he was here on earth. They didn't believe him. They, they questioned him. They challenged him. But it was after Jesus' death and resurrection that they began to see the real deal, that they had it wrong. They put their faith in Jesus and now became apostles in serving the Lord. So the Catholic Church has got it wrong on two accounts at least. That's just scratching the surface here, but verse five becomes a real problem for them. I don't know who needed to hear that, but maybe somebody online needed to hear that and go, okay, it's time to make a move. I don't know. We'll leave it at that. But Paul again asked the question, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? So Paul here comes across almost sarcastically or wondering if he and, and Barnabas are the only guys. Everybody else can be compensated for what they do. All other apostles can be paid, but us, me and Barnabas, no. We're the only two, I guess, that aren't entitled to receiving support. He's almost kind of like saying this sarcastically. And so why would they not be able to be supported if others were? Now, understand that when Paul came to Corinth, again, he didn't come looking for money. He didn't come looking uh, to enter into a job in the ministry. When he came to Corinth, he found Aquila and Priscilla, a married couple who were tent makers. And what did Paul do? He got busy with them in that same occupation. In other words, Paul worked to support himself. He didn't look to be supported by the church that he would, he would find or, or, or plant. He was working to support himself. He wasn't doing this as an occupation. He wasn't doing this with ulterior motives. He came in with a purpose of giving out the gospel freely. Now, this kind of reasoning of laying down rights like this and receiving that for which you are, are, are putting in doesn't always line up with the natural world. Paul says now next that there are, are three examples from everyday life of people who benefit from the work that they do. He's going to mention a soldier, a farmer, and a shepherd. So Paul begins now in verse 7 to really hone in on, on the rights of apostleship. He says here in verse 7, whoever goes to war at his own expense who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock so whoever goes toward his own expense could you imagine a soldier being enlisted in the army saying hey we've got a great package for you you're gonna be able to fight on the front lines yes you might have to risk your life but listen you can do all of this for the low low cost of 39.99 a month it's gonna be great nobody's gonna be like what I have to go risk my life and pay for it? 
That's not going to register. They're going to be like, there's no way. I'm not doing that. No, it, it's a given that anybody that's serving their country, and, and especially going about, they're going to be compensated for what they're doing. They're going to be provided for. He next lays out those who plant a vineyard. Are they not going to eat of its fruit? If you see a, a, a vineyard, whether it's a person that plants his own vineyard or is managing a vineyard for another person, he's out there tending to the grapes or whatever kind of fruit may be grown there. Well, guess what? He's going along, checking all the vines and the plants. No doubt he's going to try out some of that fruit. See how it's gone? I'm a little bit hungry. I'm going to have a snack here. I'm entitled to it because I'm tending to all of this. It's just a natural outcome that you're going to see. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy a, a grape or two from somebody's vineyard, let alone my own, right? It's going to be a natural thing that's oftentimes, maybe, maybe I shouldn't, but it's probably going to happen at times. But it's not a, a big issue. And then he goes again now with one who tends a flock. Are you not going to drink of the milk of the flock? Right? You're, you're tending a flock. You're going to reap the benefits of having a flock around you. You're going to enjoy some fresh milk. And again, in this day when milk supply is running low, you don't have the, 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 the ability to just run to the local corner store and pick up a fresh gallon of milk. You're like waking up going, oh my goodness, I'm out of milk. My fruit loops are dry. I need to top this up. You're going to walk out your tent, grab the nearest goat and say, come on, top up my fruit loops here. Right? That's just what you're going to do. You're not going to be questioning the ethics or the rights of this. You're going to be like, well, it's, I'm caring for the flock. I'm entitled to some of the, the milk of the flock. It's just a natural outcome that you see in the natural world. Paul uses this as an example to say, this is just kind of that inalienable right that we have, that, that people that are, are working are going to benefit from their work. But notice he says here in verse 8, do I say this as a mere man? What Paul means is that this isn't just my human opinion. This isn't just something that I'm kind of thinking about and going, yeah, this makes sense to me. He goes, this isn't just me thinking this way. This is backed up, he says here, or does not the law say the same also? Verse nine, for it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or, or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. Paul again says, this isn't just my view scriptures are backing this up and so in verse 9 paul quotes from deuteronomy 25 verse 4 where god puts in the law that when an ox is out there and he's threshing on the floor breaking down the grain guess what don't muzzle it let him enjoy the work that he's doing let him partake of some of that grain that might be on the ground that he's breaking down don't restrict him from it let him enjoy the fruit of his labor now paul adds is it oxen that the Lord is really concerned about? Did God put that into the law just to say, please protect the oxen out there. Please make sure they're eating well. And Paul says, this goes beyond oxen. Yes, God cares for them, but if he cares for them, how much more does he care about us? Again, like we said last week, we're made in the image of God. Yes, God cares about you, and he wants to provide for you. This principle is doubly applicable now to those who are faithful ministers of god and christian service is oftentimes likened to that of uh, of you know plowing and threshing planting and and harvesting paul says in first corinthians 3 that some are are are, are watering some are some are planting the seed some are watering the seed you know we're, we all have different functions but again it's likened to this idea of 
threshing or, or plowing. No, we should never do these things just as a job. Yet what Paul is getting at here is that there's a blessing that comes for all when that spiritual laborer labors in hope of support. That's what he says at the end of verse 10, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. Paul says there's something to be said when a minister, or as Paul is referring to as an apostle here, those that are serving the Lord, can do so with the hope now of having you know needs met, having things taken care of, that they can devote their 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 energy, their time, their their focus to serving others around them, not worried about, well, where am I gonna, you know, be able to eat tonight? How am I gonna take care of my family? They're able to plow and hope, but then also those that they're ministering to also have a great hope because now they have a person that's able to be devoted to and focused on the ministry and the needs around them. And they now are partakers of this hope as well. Paul says in verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we've not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Again, Paul lays it out very clearly that he has every right to be compensated for the way he was serving others and feeding others spiritually. See, when you go and enjoy a nice meal at a restaurant, do you walk out of that restaurant, go across the street to another restaurant and say, hey, I'm just here to pay my bill? No, you pay it where you ate. Where you got fed is where you're going to provide for, right? And that's the way it is within the church here. Where you are being fed is where we're called to, to give. And, and Paul says, if I sown spiritual things for you, is it really a great thing? An uncommon thing, a foreign thing for me to reap material things from you, to be compensated for that? This is what Paul is saying here, that he has every right for these things as an apostle. He says it another way in Galatians 6, verse 6 to 10, let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So if you're being taught, share with those who are teaching. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now remember, Paul is not trying to guilt this church into giving him any kind of remuneration. He's not arguing for a raise. He's laying all this out to show he had every right and liberty to receive compensation, but he's laid down that right. He's denied himself of that. He laid down his liberty for the blessing of others because why? He wanted, as it says at the end of verse 12, for the gospel to go out unhindered. He didn't want anybody to, to think that maybe Paul's here out of you know selfish reasons or with ulterior motives just to fatten his own pockets. And let me tell you, that sadly goes on far too much today. And it was something that Paul saw in his day, that there were spiritual leaders that would come onto the scene acting like, oh, they've got all the authority. All the, all the power, and everybody else needs to just come under them. And then coming under them means they got to cough it up, you know, provide for them, meet their needs. They wanted to empty the pockets of others just so they could fill their own. And sadly, that same 
thing goes on far too often in the name of church or ministry in the name of Jesus today where there are people acting like they're just trying to teach the word of God, but they've twisted all around to preach a prosperity gospel, to lay out how much you need to be giving, and when you give, you're going to be blessed. And meanwhile, they're the ones that are being blessed, driving around in their Mercedes, living in big 10-bedroom mansions, flying on their private jets, doing it with selfish motives. Paul encountered that in his day, and so he wanted to run in the complete opposite stream of that to say, I'm not here for any of that. This is not about me. I've been called by the Lord to come and share the gospel, and I want to give that out freely so that nothing will hinder you from receiving this, so that you do not think that there's any kind of ulterior motive in what I'm doing. You know, we're often asked here at Calvary Chapel, uh, how come you don't pass an offering plate around? Shouldn't that be a, a part of the service? And there's no problem with passing a plate around. There's nothing wrong with that. It's something that we've chosen not to do here in the history of, of Riverside. It's a model that I've seen uh, with, with Pastor Chuck, with many other Calvary chapels, where, again, I want people to come into the church and not feel like we're only interested in their money. I mean, we are interested in their money, but we don't want that to be front and center, right? We don't want that to be the focus. We don't want that to be something where people might think, oh, that church is just wanting us to come so that they can, you know, get money from us. No, that's not at all what we're interested in. We're not looking to receive from you. We're looking to pour into you and to teach you and to instruct you in the things of the Lord. Then as you grow in the Lord, well, then you're going to see very clearly that that tithing and and giving is a part of what we do as believers to give back to what we recognize God has already given to us. It's the way of showing God, Lord, we're trusting you. Our heart is so open to just giving back to you and and entrust that you're the one that's going to meet all my needs. Giving is a great act of worship that we do for the Lord. I encourage people to be givers. We don't make a big deal about that here. We don't teach a lot about that unless it comes up in a, in a passage of scripture that we happen to be in. And even when it doesn't come up, like it doesn't now, I'm gonna find ways maybe to get it in at times too, like today, but, but we don't make a big deal about it. Maybe we should make a bigger deal about it. We certainly believe that believers should be giving, but we want people to be giving cheerfully and not out of compulsion. You see, the moment you pass a plate around, and I grew up in a church where you know, offering was a big part of the service. You know, the ushers would all walk down the aisle. They'd stand in the front. We'd pray. They'd all pass the plates around, you know. And that plate would, you know, come by. And you're like, oh, boy, I didn't, don't have anything with me. Uh-oh. People are, and people are watching. So you'd grab the, the envelope from the pew. You'd drop in that blank envelope just to make people think, you know, there's something in there. Or if you didn't have an envelope, the plate would pass by, and there'd be like a you kind of slyly reach in there, pick up that $5 bill and, you know, put it back in there and pass along and say, yep, I gave, you know. I, I know I'm being very transparent with my corrupt heart that I used to have. It's changed now. That used to be how I live, but not anymore. But you see, there's that idea of like, you're feeling guilty in doing it. And, and, and we just don't want that here. We want people to come and know that we're not here or existing because we're, we're trying to, 
get your money. We want you to come so that you can be fed and encouraged and grow in the Lord and in his word and be, again, just faithful ministers yourselves. That's our, our heart and desire here. So we made a conscious effort to say we don't want to focus overboard on, on giving. We're going to have offering boxes, uh, you know, in various places around the church. You can give online. There's ways to give, and we encourage you to do so. But do so because the Lord is leading you in that, and do it as that act of worship unto the Lord. Well, we got to continue on verse 13. Paul goes, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So Paul again gives another example from Scripture to show how it was commonplace for the ministers of the Lord to be blessed and compensated in their service for the Lord. This time he gives the example of priests. The tribe of Levi where the priests came from, were not given an allotment of land, territory in the promised land. All of the tribes were, but the priests, the Levite tribe, was to serve in the tabernacle and the temple. But in so doing, God built in that they would be provided for. So now when, an, when a worshiper would come to the temple with their sacrifice, they'd give that to the priest, the priest would put that on the altar, it'd be given, but that priest now would receive a portion of that. They were paid in side of lamb chops basically right that's how god provided for them and met their needs but you see they were compensated for the service they were doing unto the lord and this applies to new testament pastors they're to be paid from the monetary gifts offered to god by his worshipers that's how the church can continue to to function and and have people able to serve and minister to the needs around us paul says i mean this is what the lord has commanded we saw it in Luke 10, right? Matthew 10 also repeats it, where the laborer is worthy of his wages. Here in verse 14, it's summed up that the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should also live from the gospel. But notice what Paul's again coming back to. He's building the case for the rights he has in apostleship, but ultimately his whole point is how he has laid down these rights. He says in verse 15, but I've used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. That's pretty heavy. So Paul, as we've been looking the last few verses, he's made five arguments here to make the case for the right of the worker to receive support. First of all, common practice, right? The, the soldier, the farmer, the shepherd. Scriptural precept, don't muzzle the ox when he's treading out the grain intrinsic justice where he says if we sown spiritual things for you are unable to re reap your material things intrinsic justice jewish custom that of the priest and now christ's command those who preach the gospel shall also live by the gospel but notice he's not laying these things out to urge the corinthians to begin to support him this wasn't a hint nor was he boasting at all in a proud way of presenting the gospel free of charge. In fact, that word boasting that Paul uses here means to glory or to rejoice. You see, Paul was rejoicing that he could preach and pastor and support himself while doing it. That he was able to function in this role of minist uh, 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 in ministry without receiving support from this Corinthian church. That they could receive all this free of charge. Paul says, verse 16... For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. 
for necessity is laid upon me. Yeah, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. Now again, there's no boasting in preaching the gospel. Paul's not looking at himself going, hey, everybody, look at me. Look at how much better I am than everybody else. They're all doing this just so they can get a paycheck. I'm doing this free of charge. Look at how great I am. Paul's not boasting in that. He's boasting simply in the fact that he gets to preach the gospel, that the Lord has called him to this very specific task. He's not doing this to pile away a, a, a big savings plan and retire early. It's not about the money for Paul. It's about the necessity of sharing this good news that he has been entrusted with. Now, verse 17 can be a little bit confusing to read. If I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. What Paul is stating here is that if he were doing this simply as an occupation, meaning willingly, well, then he had a right to compensation. That would be his reward, his payment. By willingly, he says, if I chose this for myself, if I came in and said, I, I want to I be a minister of the gospel, I'm going to do this, well, then he'd be able to come and do it and, and be entitled to compensation, his reward. But then he says, but if against my will, and you go, wait, what do you mean, Paul? Are you, are you talking about that you're, this is something that's kind of forced upon you? Not, in, not so much in that way. He's not saying that he's doing this against his will like he'd rather do something else. He's saying this is something that he's been called to do by the Lord. This is something that he cannot shake or would want to shake because he recognizes this is not something he's doing just of his own accord. He's doing this because God has called him to do it. And, and nothing now will, uh, again, prevent it. Nothing will be able to stop him because this is the Lord's work that he's doing. It's the Lord's calling upon his life. So he says, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. He saw his relationship as that of a servant before a great master who is Jesus Christ, his Lord. And Paul knew that his Lord would provide for him and meet every one of his needs. Paul says, I'm not doing this just because I think this is a good way to make a living. I'm doing this because it's been put on me, called to the Lord. I've not chosen it. The Lord has chosen me to do this. He says, you're not gonna stop me from doing it now because there's no greater blessing than simply carrying out faithfully what God has called you to do. That, Paul says, is his reward. Look at this in verse 18, and we'll close with this verse. He says here, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Paul's reward not receiving a salary. His reward was simply preaching the gospel and being able to give it free of charge. To Paul, the greatest fulfillment in life was simply carrying out that which God has called him to do. There's something for us here in this, guys. Because we can all find ourselves striving to get ahead thinking, if my bank account was just a little bit bigger, I'd be really happy. If I could just climb that, that corporate ladder or reach a better position in my, in my company, then I'd really be satisfied. No, no, no. Fulfillment and satisfaction in life comes from simply fulfilling what God has put on your heart to do, what he's called you to do, 
being ambassadors of him ultimately. That's the greatest blessing and joy. Paul says, that's my reward, is doing that which I know God has called me to do. Paul didn't want to abuse his authority in the gospel. He didn't want to make it about anything other than just Jesus Christ being exalted and being shared as the Savior of the world. So again, Paul is presenting this case of how he has laid down his own rights for the betterment of others. That's something that we all might be called to do from time to time. You might have great freedom and liberty to exercise different things, but there are times where you have to look at it and go, is this what's really going to be helpful to others? Is this what's really going to promote the gospel? Because there may be times where you have to say, though I have the right to do this, I'm going to deny myself that right if it means seeing somebody else come to know the Lord in a greater way. That's what Paul is expressing and giving as an example here in this passage. We'll continue to look at how Paul, in, in next week in the rest of chapter 9, we'll begin to see how Paul was, again, willing to become all things to all men if it meant their salvation. Now, finishing this, this message here, there might be some that look at this and go, man, Paul's really against ministers of God getting supported, isn't he? Maybe we, we should really reevaluate this. Maybe we need to really examine Pastor Brent's salary here. Maybe that's what you're drawing from all this, but I want to assure you, and, and maybe for my own selfish reasons here, but Paul was not against receiving support. In fact, Paul did receive support. Look at what we read in Philippians 4, verse 16 and 17. For even in Thessalonica, you send aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul received some support. He's saying, not that I was expecting this, needing it, or, or, or asking for it, but I'm thankful for the fruit that abounds to your account. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 8, he says, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. So though Paul, and he's writing to the church of Corinth here, though Paul came into Corinth and he was working on the side, he still was receiving, not that he was a modern day Robin Hood and literally pilfering other churches. It's not what he means here, but he says, I was taking from other churches so that I could be supported in the work I was doing here in Corinth so that I wouldn't have to take from you so that you could receive the gospel freely. Paul received support. He wasn't against it. He was a recipient of it. It's not wrong to pay your pastors. I was hoping for an amen there, but that's fine. We'll move on here. We'll just keep going. It's all right. It's okay. Again, Yeah, it's too late. It's too late. I don't need your charity now. It's past. It's too late. But again, we read verse 14. The Lord commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Now, I am so very thankful for those here at Riverside that are faithful givers. We have an incredible church filled with generous people. And it is such a blessing. And it's allowed me to be able to be full-time here at church. It's allowed us to have other staff members, pastoral teams that are, are able to be 
supported here at the church under, you know, full-time salary, part-time salary, uh, whatever it might be. But we're blessed to have people that we can support to do the work of ministry here. Not that they're the only ones to do the work of ministry. We're all called to do the work of the ministry, but to have people that are dedicated and devoted to serving the church. And that's what we desire. So I'm so blessed and thankful. But I want you to know that this is not something that I am here because of a job or a salary. When we started the church and planted it uh, a little over 20 years ago, um, you know, we did not receive a salary. I was working a full-time job as I was pastoring on the side, studying in the evening, doing work wherever I could for the church, but working full-time. So there was a season where I was not being compensated at all by the church. It was probably the longest week of my life. It was tough. Um, so that went on for, uh, for a time. And then slowly, as the church grew, we were able to go to uh, a part-time support and then eventually into a full-time support and then, and then add others to help with the, the ministry in the church and administration and pastoral needs and, and see the staff kind of grow. But uh, I want you to know that, um, you know, if that salary was, was taken away, I'm not gonna be taken away. I, I, I continue on just to serve this church and pastor this church. Please don't, you know, test me on that. But if there was no salary, I'm not going anywhere because this is where I, I believe the Lord has called me. And I'm here until he, he calls me somewhere else. Hopefully that will be home to heaven soon. Um, but I'm not intending to go anywhere uh, else unless the Lord calls. But that's not based on a salary. It's not based on what I'm able to make a month. Uh, I'm here because the Lord would have me here. It's not about a salary. But I'm so blessed and thankful for a generous church to where we are able to be devoted and dedicated to the work before us and to serve the body. We're not, again, like I said, here to see what we can get out of you. We're here to see how we can pour into you and to minister to one another. So uh, on behalf of the, the staff here and the pastoral team, we're just thankful for the generosity of this church and continue to, um, you know, just be uh, givers as the Lord leads you and pray for uh, this church, for the the pastoral team, the staff, that we'd be good stewards of our time, of the resources and the, the money that comes in, that God would guide us in all those things to his glory and for his work to be done above all. All right? Let's pray. Actually, before we pray, sorry. One thing I want to add, uh, separate now from all that, uh, I want to give you guys a bit of an update on something. Um, so, as you know, we've been having a Saturday night service in Abbotsford and in Chilliwack. I've been leading the Abbotsford service. We start that in February, Abbotsford Calvary Chapel, and Rob's been uh, leading um, a service in Chilliwack. Um, and so, you know, Rob's been faithful to that and, and is continuing to pray just how the Lord will lead them in potentially a church being planted in Chilliwack as we've been praying for uh, Abbotsford and for the Lord to raise up somebody for Abbotsford to continue that work on uh, because that's not going to be me. There's enough stuff to be done here, let alone trying to pastor in Abbotsford too. So we've been praying for the Lord to raise somebody up. Well, the Lord has provided um, somebody, Pastor Ed Hickey, who was here a couple months ago at our men's retreat. He taught here Sunday morning on that weekend. And uh, Pastor 
Ed Hickey is a good friend of mine. I've known him a long time. He's been just a real blessed uh, brother. He, he planted Calvary Chapel Sunshine Coast in the late 90s and was there for a number of years and then has planted Calvary Chapel uh, London, Ontario. And uh, he's been praying about uh, the potential of coming and taking on the, the work in Abbotsford. And he's agreed to do that. And uh, he's announced to his church this morning that he's going to be stepping down and coming out here to Abbotsford. So I wanted to make that known to you guys as well so that you could be in prayer for him and his wife, Cheryl, as they make the move probably end of September is what their, their goal is. So they're going to be looking for a place to live in Abbotsford. If you know of anybody uh, with a house to rent or you know something for Ed and his wife Cheryl, please let me know. Be in prayer for them in the transition here now uh, for them and for that work in Abbotsford and in Chilliwack to continue to grow and prosper and just for you know solid churches to be planted there teaching the word of God. So be in prayer about that. If you know people in those areas, invite them out to these works here. So I just want to bring you up to speed on that so you can be praying about those things. So uh, thank you so much. Let's pray. Lord, what a blessed morning it's been. We thank you, God, for this place, this time that we can gather and meet and fellowship, worship you and learn of your word, God. Just plant this truth in our hearts, Lord. Thank you for the freedoms we enjoy in you, but help us to know, Lord, when there are times to lay down those freedoms for the rights of others. Thank you for the way you provided for this church and how you provided through the generosity of worshipers here, Lord. I would pray that you continue to see us through all things, Lord. We, we ask that you continue to provide a place for us, a new place that we can move into and continue to see the work just flourish, Lord. Uh, if it be your will and, and, and your timing, Lord, just meet those needs and lead us to where you would have us next. We look to you, God. We don't want to run ahead. We don't want to lag behind. We want to walk by faith, but trust you to bring about these things. So lead us in that, Lord. Bless this church and your people. And we just commit ourselves to you that this coming week, Lord, we would live glorifying you and worshiping you in all that we do as, as ministers and ambassadors of you, Jesus. So we ask this now in your name. Amen.